Before we dive into this episode, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please take a second to leave a review. Reviews help boost the show so that others struggling in a toxic workplace can find it. You can also go to my website, ToxicWorkplacePodcast.com, to send me a message. Or if you want to be a guest on the show, you can fill out a submission request. Your story will be completely anonymous. All names are changed to protect the employee and the employer. My name's Carly, and this is Toxic Workplace Antidote Edition. In these Antidote episodes, I speak with professionals and thought leaders that are paving the way for healthier work environments. November 18th is International Cult Awareness Day. So in light of cult awareness, today I'm sharing my interview with Amanda Fangman. Amanda is an aspiring writer and educator who specializes in teaching people about undue influence and coercive control in the workplace, from labor trafficking and exploitation to cultic abuse at work. Amanda shared her story of working in a cult business on a magazine crew on my last episode, so if you haven't listened to her story yet, I highly recommend you do so, maybe even before you listen to this interview, because she does refer to her own experience quite a bit. Amanda seeks to arm people with the crucial knowledge she wished she had before joining the workforce. General awareness of these issues, education on the warning signs and indicators of a high-control workplace. All right, Amanda, it's great to have you back on the show. I talked to you last week. You shared your story. It was an excellent story, and you shared a lot of the reflection that you've had in the past couple of years, your realization that you were part of a cult. And once you realized what had happened, you really started to do a lot of research, a lot of self-reflection, So let's sort of start with what does it mean to be in a cult? Sure. So cult's kind of that word that gets thrown around these days, you know, kind of like narcissism and trauma gets thrown around a little bit. But there are differences between something that is a cult and is not a cult. And one of the leading experts in cult research, who I'll probably reference a lot in this, Dr. Stephen Hassan, and what he says is a destructive cult is an authoritarian regime with a person or a group of people that have basically a dictatorship and they're at the top. They're the control of everything. It uses deception to recruit new members and does not tell them what the group is, what the group actually believes, and what will be expected of them if they become members. They'll use mind control techniques to keep people dependent, obedient, and loyal. And basically it's something that you think going into it, it's this thing. And then it completely just somersaults and it's something else. And you won't even know that it it did that somersault. You won't even know that you're in a cult. It's just so insidious and so subtle that that I don't want to say brainwashing, but the indoctrination process and and all of that, you won't quite even realize what's happening to you. Right. Which relating it back to your story, when you first got to the mag crew, it was all of these things. It was very generic. You didn't really have an understanding. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? How like defining it in the form of your story? Yeah, so like with my magazine crew experience, the promise that there was for me and everybody else was that life, or sorry, freedom from the man, which is funny because we were literally controlled by a man and his wife and the managers, Um, success, travel, all the fun, lots of money, the potential to run your own business, which would be a magazine crew of your own. That sounds great, you know, but what did we have to sacrifice to get that? And that was you know, living and breathing their rules, which we knew all the rules up front, the ones that they gave us. But as you go on, you know, you're not going to be inundated with every single rule the first day you get there, or you're probably just going to be, okay, this is too much, we're done. So there was a lot that my brain was overloaded with that first night and that first week, but there's a lot of things they did too that was just very slow and subtle. And so we're living and breathing their rules or suffering the consequences. And that suffering isn't immediate either. It's not like, you know, you forget your ducket or your your little pad case and you're immediately slapped in the face or slapped in the head with it. You know, week one, that's something where you're already loyal enough and that if you get slapped in the head with your ducket, you're not out the door. You're like, okay, I'm not going to forget that again. Right. It, It almost just feels like rules and structure in a way, you know, because any organization needs structure or a set of rules. So 
I think when people think of cults, it's like, oh, you know, how do you really get dragged into a cult like that? It's like, like you say, it doesn't slap you in the face. It's very subtle and it just kind of starts to grow. And there's this promise of, um, of something shiny at the top. And in your case, it was this, you know, promise to live in a, a nice house in Florida. <laughs> yeah, my gated, gated neighborhood in Florida with a spa and a tennis court. And yeah, not that I ever wanted that beforehand, but you change your, your goals in life when you totally abandon the ones that you had before you joined the cult. So yeah, there's always that promise of fulfillment. There is always this goal or mission of any cult. And it's so crazy because you can look at a religious or a political or a a self-help or a business cult and the way that they work, it's almost the same. It's almost like there's this handbook out there. The thing that'll make it different is that promise of fulfillment. Like, what are we doing? What is our goal? What are we here for? So you, you have that mission that aligns with your values, but you don't really realize what you're sacrificing to get there. And so I didn't realize that by joining this crew that I didn't even know what it was ahead of time, but in those first days, not really putting it together that I'm going to be knocking doors six days a week, seven if I just wrote shit for sales, uh, nine to ten, sometimes more, and sometimes less if you got your quota super early. But I didn't realize I was going to be exhausting myself, working with very little break or downtime to myself and no time for any personal reflection or hobbies or anything like that. There's just a a level of honesty that we all have or or morals. And, you know, I wasn't I can't say perfect before the road. I had my faults, but I like to say that I or like to think that I was a pretty honest person. And if somebody would have said that I was going to be lying to thousands of strangers every month and all sorts of other shady stuff, I wouldn't have jumped in head first. Like I would have said, no, thank you. So those are those little things that you end up having to do. They uh, make you a completely different person, and that's just not what you ever wanted going in. Right. And you're conforming to the group or you're conforming to the organization. And I think of a firm structure because I worked in a firm. Um, It has the hierarchy. It has the persuasive influence at the top. And not saying it's a cult, but... There is the idea of like, you know, you can make partner at the end. So if you do all of these things, you could be a partner. You could get um, a corporate vehicle paid for by the firm. There's definitely aspects of what you're talking about that I can see in a workplace, specifically a firm setting, which is my background. But even um, the episodes, the one about Jules, um, she worked in sales And you're talking about conforming to these rules or doing things that are not moral or unethical that you never would have done in the first place. I know she experienced that just the way she was treating people because that's what was expected of of her. And I know she didn't feel good about it. And you can't really describe that to somebody who's never experienced it. If you haven't experienced it, it's hard to explain because it's not like you're a bad person or she's a bad person. It's just being in that... um, you know, under those conditions. Yeah. And there is a lot of victim shaming around this stuff and a lot of shame that survivors have to overcome because of that. And just by itself, you know, I never set out to, and I, you know, I only did it once, but once was enough to hit somebody and I can't even remember why, but for whatever reason, he was doing something against whatever rule or I don't like, again, I don't even know why, like, I just felt compelled to slap this kid in the face and I remember thinking in that moment, like, why, why did I just do that? And I look back at it a lot. I mean, I obviously wrestled with my siblings and we got, we threw through hands, but like, I barely knew this kid. And because of what he maybe mouthed off or didn't, I don't even know. And I was almost hit by somebody because I scoffed in the back of the car when I was fairly new. I'm like, You don't think that you're going to go into something and you're going to be slapping people for the smallest yeah, it's just crazy. And then having people coming out of it like, well, what the hell is wrong with you? Why did you do this or that or that? And like, man, I already have enough shame around this. But that's the thing is, until you understand it, and know exactly what was happening, and you're able to pick apart how that cult or that group got you to that point, like you just don't know. And people who've never been in it especially don't know. 
Right. And, you know, anybody could get sucked into a cult. It's not just, you know, it's not specific people. Like, anybody could be susceptible to joining. You know, like, why do you think that is? How do you think people get sucked into this in the first place? It really comes down to where they're at in their life in the moment that somebody approaches them. A lot There's a lot of qualities that somebody who might join a cult has, and a lot of that comes down to optimism, idealism, just really having a lot of hope for their lives. And if somebody comes up to them with this smile, seemingly genuine warmth, then they're selling them whatever it is that they're missing in their life at that moment. It's easy for that person to latch on and be like, oh, wow, I just, you know, I lost my job and now you're offering me this amazing opportunity to make $1,000 a week. You know, you're down on your luck and you've got this person who seems like they've got a lot of hope in you and they're telling you that you're, you've got such potential and, and whatever, you know, love bombing of whatever sort. Then, yeah, it's easy for that person who just lost their job or just got a divorce or broke up from boyfriend, girlfriend, or, you know, even just had a baby. Mothers are very vulnerable to especially multi-level marketing schemes, the pyramid schemes, because, you know, they just had a baby, they're feeling lonely. And especially if they're stay-at-home moms and they're not bringing in any sort of income for their families. And this this chick down the road says, oh, if you sell these leggings, you can make like a million dollars. Oh, wow. I can do this from home and I can stay at home with my family and be with my kids. and, And that's the dream that they're sold. But in reality what it takes to get near the top of that pyramid is a lot of ignoring your kids, your family and your well-being. And yeah, next thing you know, you're, you're in a cult. Yeah. And I, I'm thinking of like an example of where maybe somebody that isn't necessarily vulnerable, but they're at a point where they're like, you know what, I want to reach the top. I'm ambitious. I want to, I want to make a lot of money and I'm, you know, I, I'm looking for a better opportunity than this very basic job that I have. And something comes along that's like, oh, you could be a millionaire. And, you know, we only take straight shooters and hot shots at this place. And, you know, like more of like a feeding the ego kind of cult where it's like we are the elite of the elite and not necessarily like join because, you know, we can give you, well, yeah, essentially join because we can give you a better life is really what it boils down to. Whether your baseline for life is you're struggling because, you know, you're trying to make ends meet or you're not struggling, but you want to, you have a desire to be a millionaire and somebody promises that you can. Right. I was just listening to a podcast episode and I've watched quite a few of this guy's videos where he um, brings down self-help gurus or wealth management gurus, all sorts of those types of people. And that's exactly what they're playing on. You you get this ad on your, on your YouTube video and it's this dude in a Lamborghini (laughs) in front of this giant ass house. And he's saying, I've got the answers just buy my $5,000 course. You can give $5,000 to make a million dollars. It's not that much up front. And if you don't even have a job or you don't even have $100 in your bank account, yeah, $5,000 is a lot. And this happened to me in a body language training program that I bought into several years ago was, oh my gosh, I can be my, I can be a body language coach. I can run my own business just like this lady. And okay, I'll take out a personal loan for $5,000 and be in debt for the next three years because it didn't work. And if it doesn't work, then it's your fault. It's nothing about the the system. The system works. All the answers are right here. So yeah, it's just like that. There's If it's not an actual company or business, it's some, some a-hole in a, a Lamborghini that he rented for a day in front of a house that he doesn't even own. And he's telling he's got all the answers and you can have this if you just blank, blank, blank. And while that may not be a cult leader, it's all kind of like scams are a lot the same. It's just not, it's not a cult. It's just a lot of what you're latching onto is very similar. Right. You're buying into a fake promise. You know, I quit my job and um, started a self-help whatever, or I became a coach and now I'm a millionaire. And it's just, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is kind of thing. Of course, people are always looking to make more money. People, listeners of this podcast, you know, you're in a vulnerable position because you're in a toxic workplace and you want so desperately to find a better job, the job of your dreams, just to get out and find somewhere normal. 
you know, you're kind of at a, a vulnerable position there. So I think it's important to know the red flags of a cult type organization. So let's talk about some of the, the red flags that people might see in a job listing or during an interview. Okay. Yeah. And we're going to be going through what it looks like on the job post or if somebody approaches you and then what it looks like in the interview. And then if you happen to fall into that job, what it looks like there. I want this to be informative and I especially want it to help people who may be in that type of culty business atmosphere, but I don't want people to walk away and And just because, you know, related to one or two things, now they're thinking they're in a cult. Not every toxic workplace is a cult. It might have characteristics of a cult, but not be full-blown. But every commercial cult is an extremely toxic place to work. So if anybody is feeling like they relate to this a little bit too much, I uh, recommend doing a little bit more research beyond what you hear here. So we'll start with job listings and a lot of this all of this comes down to how people are trying to influence you you know you're on your job hunt and you're looking through job listings or whatever it may be whatever people are doing these days you just kind of want to be on the lookout for how these types of job listings are trying to influence you so the goal of a recruiter a job listing in general is to showcase the company in a positive way they want the right people to come to them And so they want to influence the top candidates to apply there. In an interview, the company should want to learn who you are. So you're trying to influence them to hire you. Nothing wrong with that. And if they think you're a good candidate and they're going to influence your decision to choose them over another company. Again, nothing wrong with that. Where it gets a little twisted is if that influence starts to become a bit more manipulative and dishonest. And that's where the undue influence comes in. And if you're making informed decisions, so if this is informed consent or if you are just saying yes to a bunch of lies. So let's say they offer you your job, you love what you're hearing, and you are thinking about joining their team. Is your acceptance of that job offer going to be an informed choice with all the information you've been given? Or is it all just a fabricated lie made just to get you through the door into their cult business? And the guy that I mentioned earlier on, Dr. Stephen Hassan, He defines undue influence as any act of persuasion that overcomes the free will and judgment of another person. And that can be done through deception, flattery, trickery, coercion, hypnosis, and all sorts of other techniques. So during the early stages, be on your toes. And no matter how promising something sounds, do your own research about that company. So like in job listings, a lot of them are just hiring scams where they're trying to get some money from people. But uh, some of them that I've come across seem quite a bit more on the culty side of things. And there's just so many of it's crazy. There's so many of them. I want to research them all, but I only have so many hours to to dedicate to, to scam hunting. But anyway, um, so some of those things to look out for um, just from what I've, I've gathered with going through them is it won't often list a company name. Sometimes it might give you a company name and then it turns out to be something else when you're emailing or you're in the interview, but it'll usually give a person's name. And sometimes it's a very weird, just like one of them I came across was Mr. H. So give Mr. H a call. I'm like, who is, who is this guy? And that one didn't really have a company on it anyway. So you're working with limited information. Um, Sometimes these posts will just, it won't have anybody to contact It'll give you a URL to a YouTube video, or it'll give you like an 800 number to call, and you listen to this super long voicemail, and then it gives you a link at the end. Um, a lot of them are super, super long, filled with words. It's like a, it's like you're reading an entire chapter of a book, but with all those words on there, you don't quite understand what the job is. So it's all a bunch of like buzzwords and fun promises and excited things, and you're like, well, what are we actually doing here? And then on the flip side, you've got a short post with like not many details at all. And I mentioned buzzwords. So you'll see a lot of best opportunity, amazing opportunity, your dream job, financial success and freedom, control your destiny with like-minded people. This isn't for everybody. It's a no-brainer, stuff like that. I keep thinking of like the overlap with the corporate world because there are elements of cults in the business. You see these like you know, we're looking for a highly motivated, can work in a fast pace, motivated, ambitious, 
you know, of course, everybody's going to say they're all those things. Exactly. You're just kind of like stroking your ego a little bit. Yeah, a couple more. It's like they don't, they'll list the company name, but there's no actual website and you can't really find anything about them online. This one's my favorite because it said, it'll say it's not a scam or a pyramid scheme or an MLM. And that makes me think about, well, if you have to tell me to trust you or you have to tell me you're honest, you probably aren't or you wouldn't have to say it. (laughs) And so they're out there saying, this isn't an MLM. And then I dig into it. I'm like, no, dude, this is totally an MLM. Um, The ones on Craigslist are are, they're so ridiculous. They'll be filled with like dollar signs in the in the title of it. And then it'll tell you a lot of them will have promises of high earnings. So it'll be like make $10,000 a week or six figures and millions in your first year, like no experience. There's going to be a lot of bizarre formatting and spelling. Sometimes it'll be like random all caps or capitalized words, odd punctuation, weird quotations and stuff. And, and this, this last one's more so for potential labor trafficking or sex trafficking if it mentions anything about a physical attribute of their ideal candidate just don't even just close it out so if they're looking for someone attractive beautiful whatever that to me sends sends like the trafficking vibes and so some of these posts that you're looking at like craigslist is a whole different realm like if you're on indeed or something else it might be there might not be as many but If you're looking through something and the post checks one or two of those boxes, it might be fine. The recruiter might just not be that great at their job. Um, But if you're ticking a lot of those boxes or you just feel like it's uh, too good to be true, then best not to even to go down that hole, the rabbit hole with that company, if you want to call it that. But if something does seem legit and promising, regardless of where you're finding the job post, I just tell people, research that company before the interview. You can back out of the interview if you find something and you don't want to. Yeah. So just it's better if you don't even get through the door if that business ends up being like a scam or a cult. But if you're finding things are checking out and this company's got you know good reviews, good glass door, um, it just seems like a good, great place to work. And it's not got all those shady vibes that I just listed. Then, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So let's say the job posting seems normal and you go to the interview. What are some of the things to look out for during the job interview? Yeah. So sometimes it might not be that sketchy. It might just be a regular old job listing and it looks great. You call or apply, whatever. You set up the interview and you're in. Some of the things that you can look out for is Oh, you think you're having a one-on-one interview, but then you get in there and there's 10 other people there who are interviewing for the job. So a lot of these scammy or culty companies are going to play the numbers game. They're trying to filter out the non-believers. So the idea is that, you know, even if three out of the 10 people stay, that's three extra people. And some something I don't quite know a lot about, but I have heard a little bit, there's those large group awareness trainings or LGAT. And some of those are recruiting tools for companies. And that's all just a bunch of um, toxic positivity being shoved down your throat. And it's like uh, several hours long. So you're just kind of overwhelmed and not in your right mind after those. And they just infiltrate your brain. And and next thing you know, you're spending $10,000 for whatever you don't even know. (laughs) So yeah, the whole numbers game, whether it's a, you know, master class mastermind thing that you signed up for or an interview at a company and there's 10 other people there. Yeah. Just the word mastermind is like, I just, I I cringe when I hear that. Like we're having a mastermind. Like, wow, you you think really highly of yourself. Yeah. That was something when I I mentioned that body language training program I did, that was something I didn't really, you know, I was like, oh, mastermind, that sounds cool. But everything I've learned since all of, you know, digging into scams and cults and whatnot. That's one of those words that I'm just like, nope, turn the other way. (laughs) Yeah. Another thing would be the company name or the position that you applied for ending up being completely different. And I've seen it where this company will say what it is on Craigslist. And then I know what that company is, like what it actually is when you get there. But on Craigslist, it says something else. And then they'll be like, well, this is a customer service or marketing representative job. And you get there and it's you're selling knives door to door. Not not what you signed up for. The other thing is they're going to be emphasizing wealth and financial freedom a whole bunch. A lot of the time when you're interviewing for a job, 
and somebody's trying to hire you, they're not going to be throwing like big dollar amounts your way just willy-nilly. These culty type businesses are going to be promising you the world. That's just a big red flag for me. If they're, they've got all the answers and you're going to be rich, that's just probably not going to happen. Um, they're going to love bomb the shit out of you, showering you with attention and compliments and excitement and positivity and making you feel like you already fit in and you just got there. And then they're going to focus on how great the company is. And they actually like they're going to be hyped up about you, but they're not going to be asking you much about your experience or who you are. They might get a little too personal with you to figure out you know, what's going to make you tick, but they don't care if you worked at Starbucks for five years or, or anything about your actual workplace experience. They just want to figure you out and figure out what's going to drive you. Um, and they'll be very quick to hire you. So you might not have any experience, nothing, you know, nothing lines up with what you've done to what this position entails, but they want to hire you and they don't want to know about your skills and experience. They just, they want you through the door no matter what, as long as you are buying what they're selling, then you're a great candidate. Right. None of that matters. Like who you actually are and what you want to do. It doesn't matter if you're willing to buy into whatever they're selling, then they want you. Yeah. I had one job and this wasn't like a cult or anything. It was just kind of a toxic boss situation. And I told the guy when I first started, this is not my end goal. I usually wouldn't say that to a job before any of, of this. I was like, this is not my end goal. I can see myself, you know, doing what I can and whatnot for two years or so, but this is just not where I want to be. And he would just keep pushing me and pushing me towards it was a sales. I, I, I needed to stop falling into sales jobs. Um, but yeah, it was like he was just not listening to anything, what I wanted or or anything like that. It was all what, what he wanted and what I could do for him, which, you know, a, a business might be that way to an extent, but a good business will at least, you know, respect your boundaries as much as possible. But yeah, it just rubbed me the wrong way. Do you think labor trafficking is mostly in the sales industry? Like, is it usually like a sales type job where you're selling something? I wouldn't say labor trafficking. That might be, and I don't want to put a blanket statement on it, but I feel like sales in general is a bit culty. <laughs> like, it's just a big world of toxic positivity a lot of the times. And yeah, you do kind of have to be that way with yourself to get through the rejection. But to a point, you got to be realistic and, you know, not lose your morals and ethics and be able to stand up for yourself. But I, I think uh, there's probably more sales type business cults than anything else. Like if you look at MLMs, it's all selling products and selling people to be on your downline and, and it just keeps going down. So I'd say sales is probably one of the more culty industries for sure. As far as labor trafficking, it's, it's really everywhere. Unfortunately, it's, you know, carnivals, sales crews, that's one of them. But yeah, restaurants, it happens in restaurants and people who make clothing across seas and like fishing ships. And yeah, it's just coffee fields, a lot in agriculture. So it's quite a bit different than Colts, but also the same. Yeah, a lot of that in undue influence that I mentioned. You are groomed in a way in those early stages of being labor, labor trafficked. You're not going to be, you know, jumping on a ship to be there out out at sea for 10 years and tortured and having no break and little to eat and little to drink. Like they get to that point to where, you know, they're getting that person on the boat and they feel like it's, you know, they're going to be safe and okay and making money, but then they haven't been home for 10 years. They're out at sea. It's crazy. Same with sex trafficking. A lot of the boyfriend scheme, the, the guy will find a young woman who's in a vulnerable state or, you know, maybe homeless or, Maybe, you know, comes from a decent home, but has always gathered her sense of self-worth from a man or, you know, this is all just generalized. So, yeah, then provides her with that love and attention. And then, you know, next thing she knows, she's having sex with strangers because they need to make ends meet or so he says. So, yeah, it's all the same. It's all like that love bombing, grooming, undue influence, coercive control. It's disgusting. But I think, yeah, we can talk about maybe some ways to protect yourself from all of that. And, you know, if you do get into that interview, what, what some of the next steps could be. Because, you know, if you're asking questions and that recruiter or whoever, whoever's in that room is not answering them or giving you just non-answers or just ignoring you, 
um, or just going back to how awesome they are to work for, then that's something where, you know, it's probably best just to not take that job offer when it comes. But if you, if you're still on the fence, like, okay, this seems, seems okay. Seems legit. Um, don't accept the job offer right away. I, I think it would be best for people to come out of that interview and do a little extra research and ask questions. I, I didn't realize this when I was younger, but interviews go both ways. I loved sitting in an interview where they just talked and I didn't have to talk because I was so nervous, but it's actually not a great thing if that person is just telling you everything about the company and not wanting to know anything about you or allowing you to ask actual, you know, good questions. So make that interview, you know, go both ways. It's, you know, they're asking you what they have to ask you. And then you have a set of questions that you go in with. And if anything, you know, they say something and you want a little bit more, you know, you want them to elaborate, then speak up. And most of the time they'll ask you if you have questions at the end. So definitely take that opportunity. And even if they don't ask, if you have any, just, you know, ask your questions anyway. Like an actual legit company will stand up to scrutiny and they will welcome any questions. An illegitimate one will be bothered and annoyed by any questioning, unless it's something simple and innocent. You know, like what day do we get paid? Oh, it's Fridays. If anything, like who's who's the owner and do they have a criminal background or anything like that? Like, um, next question. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're going to skate around. And I would say even if it's not a cult, a red flag that a place is just a toxic workplace would be if you go to the interview and they just sell themselves. They just talk about their place of work the whole time and they don't really ask you anything. Yeah, exactly. I've Yeah, like I said, I I didn't think anything of that. And I've been in a couple of interviews like that and. One of them, I ended up taking the job and, you know, come time to quit, it was just a freaking nightmare. Like these people were not who I thought they were. So, yeah, if they don't want to know you and your your experience and your strengths and weaknesses and all the other questions that people ask about your experience and yeah, I, I don't think that's a good sign. And I don't want people to be super suspicious and paranoid of every company out there. That's not my intention. This is more so that people can start to, you know, think a little bit more about the process of getting a job and taking a job because there are real, there are good companies out there that treat their people great. And it's not like everybody out there's uh, scheming and scamming and trying to develop a cult business. So I don't want people to walk away from this and be like, oh, my God, everybody's trying to recruit me for a cult. Yeah, but this is toxic workplace, and we're very cynical. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to be cynical when you when you dive it into this is, stuff so much. It it's is. like I know that when I see somebody who's, you know, like a self help coach or any sort of coach, the word coach just grinds my gears these days. And I know not all coaches are scheming and scamming, but it's like there's so many out there that I know. Ah, uh, like yeah, it's just it's hard not to be cynical and paranoid of every yeah yeah and the sad thing is if you've never had a really good coach in your life like if you've never been exposed to somebody that is truly a like a humanitarian coach that just really has compassion for people and they want to help people if you've never experienced someone like that and you meet somebody who is faking to be a coach I could see where someone could get trapped in that sort of dynamic because they're like, wow, this is wonderful. I've o- I've always wanted to have somebody to coach me. You know, it's kind of like that vulnerability of of the love bombing with, um, you know, a romantic partner of like, oh, I've always wanted somebody to treat me like, um, you know, this pr- princess or whatever. Yeah, like the whole coaching industry. And it, I'm not saying it's all bad, but, you know, they're hitting on people's very personal experiences and their deepest darkest feelings sometimes it's easy for that to get taken advantage of so like the whole industry as you know as a whole is you're getting deep with this person who's supposed to be helping you and they can either take that to actually help you or take that to manipulate you and it's yeah like I said I've seen so much of the manipulation side it's hard for me to imagine the help side but I know it exists I know it does I know it does, too. Actually, on this podcast, we talked to um, Zanika Chapman. She was such a wonderful, positive person. When After the recording, I talked to her for like 
an hour or so, and she was just asking me about like my goals and the podcast just to ask me because she was genuinely interested. Like she wasn't, you know, gaining anything from it. She was a wonderful person. And um, also Alicia from Goldfinch Wellness, she does career coaching. You know, just there's a lot of good, probably most coaches out there are probably great coaches, but it's that percentage that isn't that you want to watch out for. Yeah, exactly. But you can take a lot of this information and that's where it's well, is this person ticking a lot of these boxes of potential scam or cult? Or, you know, if they're not, then yeah, they're probably one of the good guys or gals. So yeah, don't be suspicious of everybody, but just do your research and ask the questions for accepting a job or sending any personal information like a social security, date of birth and all that. And the big thing, I I don't know, it's, it's kind of hard to say this is like being black and white, but you know, if somebody's asking for some sort of payment up front, that's probably not an actual, like most companies are going to be paying you. You don't have to pay to get paid. That just doesn't make sense. So if they're requesting monetary buy-in, like you have to pay to play, it's probably a hiring scam or some sort of high control workplace, whether it's, you know, not quite cult level or full blown cult level yeah, if they're asking for money up front, then I'd be like, eh, red flag. Yeah, that's kind of going back to what we're talking about, these online social media, like money grabs of like, you know, for $100, you can get my bulletproof course. It's kind of like that in a way of like, if you pay so much money, we're sending you all the training tools you'll need to make your job successful. Like, yeah, that's a huge red flag. Right. And that depends on like the level of promise. I feel like if it's a person who isn't claiming to have all the answers and this is the only thing that's going to work for you, you know, if they're not saying that, it might just be a course they put together and it's all innocent. But if they're like, this is the only real estate course that is going to make you successful and I have all the answers. And yeah, that's that's a bit more probably, you know, avoid some of those Craigslist scams that I was following, asking for payment. There's one out there that... I think this one's more on the culty side of things because I ended up, this was all under alias. These people don't know who I actually am, but there's like a a level of financial quote unquote gifts where you have to pledge anywhere from $1,500 to $6,000 to your recruiter. So that's whoever you responded to their ad or however you came across them. And then you have to get two people on before you can start making it's It's a, it's a full blown pyramid scheme. It's not like the, We'll say it's not, I don't feel like MLM should be legal, but technically they are. But this was full-blown, like, illegal pyramid scheme. But they would get around it because you were giving financial gifts to people. So they found a way around it. But, yeah, I sat on their national Q&A call under my alias, and it was, like, just the way they were talking and and the language that they were using, like, it was so positive and welcoming and they were laying down the rules and one of them, you can't ask negative questions or I, they didn't word it that way, but it was basically don't be in there as a skeptic. And I was sitting there on mute like, <laughs> and then this other guy wanted $250 through Venmo to, to train me on his uh, like internet sales or some crap. It's like MLMs will make you buy a certain amount of product to be able to, to play and Traffickers will say that they'll provide financial assistance up front, whether that be like a bus ticket or housing. And then they're bonding you to them through debts that you'll never be able to pay off because you're not making money there. And so you will forever owe that debt until you hopefully escape. Yes. Never accept free money unless you want to be indebted to someone. That's the other one. Yeah. Don't pay them and don't accept any financial thing up front because, yeah, you, you don't know what they're going to ask for later on. So. And yeah, no matter how desperate you are to find a job, say you've been jobless for a month and you get this offer and it's it's sounding real culty and scammy, no matter how desperate you are to find a job, just don't rely solely on that interviewer's information. You know, do your research. And most companies, good companies, will respect your decision to give it a day or two before you say yes. And if they don't, then you probably saved yourself a little, a lot of pain. <laughs> Yeah, that's another red flag of the interview process, just a toxic workplace, not necessarily a cult of like getting the job on the spot, which, I, you know, I'm not saying it's a hard rule always. I'm sure there's times where like, oh, we got to, you know, make an offer. But 
to me, it just looks like they don't have a process to discuss, you know, should we get other people's perspective on this? And they're desperate, right? It's like, we got to fill this position. We got to make a... I, I've gotten job offers on the spot, and they weren't called, but they were toxic workplaces because I took the offer. <laughs> and I can tell you now. <laughs> yeah, not all of them are. You're right. When I first moved back to Nebraska... I got a job at a gardening company because I didn't want to work with people anymore. I figured plants would be fun, a little plant therapy. And it was, you know, the start of their season. They were really looking for people. And I liked the guy and he liked me and it seemed like a great company. And he said, eh. it, I think the difference is, is the pressure. There was no pressure for me to have to say yes right now. It was like, well, I mean, if you, he knew I didn't have a job at the time. He's like, well, if you need a job and you want to start tomorrow, then the offers on the table. And I was like, sure. Um, so yeah, it's not always like if they're offering you a job right away, that doesn't mean it's ah, run away. It's how much pressure are they putting on you to, you have to say yes right now. And if you don't like, there's that fear of missing out. And yeah, that's the big different difference in all that. Right. Cause they might like you and they just know, and they're like, yeah, take all the time you need to think we're not in a hurry, you know, like, if we could know by Monday or whatever, you know, like give you the weekend to think about it. By all means, if you have any questions, you you know, we could follow up about it, like make you feel comfortable in your decision. Yeah. So we talked about the job listings and then, you know, the interviews. So people are probably going to wonder, well, what if I'm working at a place that sounds, you know, I did the interview and it sounded like that and I'm here and or maybe nothing's sounding familiar, but this next bit is, well, you're at, you're in this job and like, what are the signs in this job of this might be a cult? So I think it'd be good to talk about a little bit of, you know, what it looks like to be in a cult. So the guy that I've mentioned, Dr. Stephen Hassan, he developed the BITE model, B-I-T-E model. And what it stands for is B for behavior, I for information, T for thoughts, and E for emotions. And you just add the word control after each each. So behavior control. This is like the meat and potatoes of what a cult looks like inside. And really, it comes down to, you know, that undue influence, the coercion and the control. And they're controlling people's behavior is like regulating and dominating their members actions and behaviors through strict rules, punishments, uh, limiting people's autonomy. So the sleep deprivation bit would be you know, frequent and required overtime. So you're constantly getting out late and having to start early. You aren't sleeping a lot. So you're not quite in your, you're in an altered state of mind, basically. You're not quite in, you know, the best, the best way to be able to think clearly and, you know, process things properly. And then another thing would be like the financial exploitation. So you're getting a paycheck, but they're shorting you on hours or you're working overtime, but they're not paying you overtime or you're just not getting a paycheck at all. And they're expecting you to volunteer all these hours. And um, so there's a lot of financial exploitation. They don't really encourage vacation and leisure time. You're just kind of expected to work, work, work. There's a lot of groupthink and hive mind. So everybody's expected to have the same the w- same ways that they think and behave. It's just like everybody is the same person basically. Yeah. Hive mind, like worker bees, basically. You're all uniform. Exactly. Yeah. There'll be a lot of rigid rules and regulations and every business is going to have rules, of course, but these will be rigid. Like you cannot go outside the the lines of whatever this rule is. And if you do, there's going to be some, some form of disobedience. So there's some punishment for, like I said earlier, we would leave, if you left your ducket with your receipts and whatnot anywhere and somebody found it, then the punishment was getting slapped on the head with your ducket really hard by somebody else. And if you kept doing it, then everybody would take their ducats and whap you in the head. It's supposed to be like, well, you'll, you won't forget it next time sort of thing. They discourage family time. They don't really want you hanging out with people who don't think and behave like they do. And especially if your friends and family question the business or the product or whatever, they're going to tell you that they're just, you know, they're not, the right people to hang out with. They don't have your best interests. So they're going to try isolating you from your family and saying that they're negative and they're naysayers and they don't have what it takes. So they'll never understand it. Stuff like that. So some of the information control 
and this kind this is a lot in that those early stages, the job listings and the interviews. And that's just keeping things to where, what they want you to see and know. Like you can't look at certain websites and you'll have uh, accountability buddies to make sure that you're not. So they'll go through your internet search history and stuff like that. Make sure you're not looking at the wrong stuff. But there'll be like an outsider versus insider mindset. So people who work outside or live outside of the company, they're completely just on a different lower level than anybody at this company. It's very us versus them. They'll also encourage spying on colleagues so that if anybody catches wind of this person saying something against the company, then you report to so-and-so, hey, this person's, you know, and then there's some sort of um, reprimandment for that person, quote-unquote, shit-talking. They might change their company name a lot. So you might start at the company and then, you know, two years later, it's something else. And that's to control what you're able to search for on the internet. So for example, when I started the magazine crew, we were, we were called one thing. And then like a year or so later, we had new receipts with a whole different name on because people were starting to write on ripoffreport.com that, you know, they weren't getting magazines or this person came to their door and was suspicious. So they'll change names just to keep it. So you can't find a lot about them. Um, They'll lie a lot to employees. They might withhold or distort information There's going to be an authoritarian leadership. And the big thing, (laughs) you can't have any contact with any former employees. And if one of your colleagues quits, it's almost like out of sight, out of mind, which is something we said a lot on the crew, is basically that person doesn't exist anymore. Don't talk to them. They couldn't hack it. So, you know, they don't they can't hold any space in your mind. They're not worthy. But they don't want people infecting, they don't want past people infecting their current people's minds and starting to get them to question, basically. Well, even like if somebody leaves the workplace and if the leadership at the workplace starts saying negative things or uses that person as an example of like, see, this is what happens when you leave like that or when you question what we're doing you know, they kind of like form a narrative around that person and then kind of let everybody else know that if you question or if you start opening your mouth and telling other people what's going on, then, you know, you're going to be basically ousted and nobody wants to feel like they no longer are welcome somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Uh, A little bit on the T, the thought the thought control. So they'll shape belief and attitudes. They'll suppress your critical thinking because they don't want you questioning and thinking for yourself. And that's where a lot of that conformity comes in. So there's a lot of black and white thinking in cults. Um, There's no questioning of leadership. And a lot of the times, if you have some, if there is something wrong, you can't talk to somebody who's quote unquote, like beneath you, you have to go up because they would perceive that you're going down, you're going to infect the newbie's mind. So you have to go up. And the reason is because the people who are up on the line, they're so in it that they know how to stop you from questioning. They know how to get you back in, basically. So they might create like a a new identity, basically. So that's like with the magazine crew I was talking about. You basically leave everything that you knew before the road behind and who you were then won't help you now. And people you knew then won't help you now. So everything's just, you know, doesn't exist. There's a lot of thought stopping or thought terminating cliches. So if you do question, you might be met with something like that out of sight, out of mind that I'd said. A big thing on the crew was singing and chanting. And a lot of cults will do this. And this puts you in an altered state of mind. So we had crew songs that if we... If it seemed like we had low morale or even just, you know, this was kind of regular to start our day with in the crew car, was we were singing songs and chanting call and response stuff. And it was made to you know, get us psyched and pumped up to knock doors and you know, make money and write quota. And then the last one's that E, the emotional control. That's probably like the, I don't know, I can't say any of them are the hardest to overcome, but I do feel like the emotional one was the hardest one for me. And that's where they're narrowing the range of emotions. And that goes into that whole toxic positivity so if you're feeling upset or whatever well just sing a crew song you know like stop thinking about what what's upsetting you because it might make you want to leave and the problems are never management's fault so it's always you it's you're the problem if you're not selling enough it's not because of the system the system works you're just not working it that sort of thing there's going to be extreme emotional highs and lows it's like that cycle of abuse you're you're up and then you're down and then you're up and you're down 
life will feel in, impossible outside of the company. It's, you know, you've left everything you knew behind and, you know, the company is your life and it doesn't, and they've told you that, you know, you're not going to amount to anything. There's, <laughs> you're going to be on the streets and stuff, literally on the magazine crew, you could be on the streets if they left you. But yeah, there is no life outside of this group. There's a lot of gaslight lighting being shunned. And that's that whole, like, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of fear around that. You have all your friends and your new family and the potential of being shunned and never being able to speak to them again. It's like, it's pretty, it's a pretty emotional thing. So yeah, those are, and I just kind of threw a lot out there and again, encourage people to go to Dr. Stephen Hassan's freedom of mind website and look at the full bite model. It is a lot, but you know, the more, the more boxes you tick on that, the more likely that you are in a high control or cultic group, you know, you might have some here and there and it's nothing to, nothing to worry about, but the more you have, then I would start questioning a little bit more what you're involved in. Yeah. And and hopefully to realize it before you're so wrapped up in a cult business that you're emotionally involved, like you say, you're your, the hardest thing was to overcome the emotional attachment, which understandably so, right? I mean, when you are emotionally attached to something, it, it's almost like even though your brain understands that you're in something that's not good for you, or your heart says something different, you know, you're attached to something. So what's your advice for people to leave or to recover from this sort of environment? Sure. This is something where you can tell whether or not you are in a cult or not or being trafficked or not is leaving (laughs) like resigning seems impossible you know it can be tough and upsetting to leave any job whether it's one you love or hate but the thing to consider is what are the ramifications if i leave what are the exit costs so it feels impossible and it feels unsafe and there might actually be safe, like threats to your safety upon exiting. So there is no guidebook for leaving. And people will come to this point in their own time. And if anybody out there is feeling like they're not in a cult, but they know somebody like a friend or family who this is sounding like the group that that person is involved with, there are ways to you know, help family members and friends through this as well. But yeah, if you, this is starting to sound like you might be in a cult or just a high control workplace and, you know, toxic workplace in general. Just go as quickly and quietly as possible. Like be safe. Keep your safety in mind. This isn't black or white either. Is You might think a colleague is trustworthy, but unless you have solid evidence that they're on the same team or same page, like you guys started questioning and validating things together and they're planning on leaving as well. I didn't say a word to anybody. Like I had a pretty good, she was my new girl, but we were, we were pretty tight. Actually, we broke a lot of the rules and like personal sharing, but I didn't even tell her because I was just so scared of my thoughts of leaving being revealed to the manager. So I would say it's best just to go quietly. And then if that person or people that you might feel like you can trust get out, then yeah, heal together. And then after getting out, I'd say go. it's, you know, like the narcissistic or an abusive relationship. Going no contact is probably the best route. You have to protect your well-being and recovery process. And that's that's the number one thing. And be careful of who you open up to as well. So let's say you get out and you've got a couple people from the company or group coming to say, hey, man, I'm starting to question things, too. Like your first inclination is to want to help. But I would, you know, dig a little deeper on like, well, what are you thinking before you open up and share like too much with this person who might not even, you know, they're just trying to gather intel for the higher up. So I would just do it, you know, as safely and quietly as quickly as possible, because there's a documentary out there called The Vow about the Nexium cult, which was kind of sex cult slash. There was a lot of commercial elements to it, like the the people in that documentary had others from that group coming to them just to gather intel. So just be very careful with who you trust afterwards. Don't be super paranoid, but just protect yourself the best you can. Yeah. And that's got to be a a very vulnerable time when you leave a place like that. You know, that process over time has got to be a journey in itself to find yourself again and build your confidence and realize you know, your worth and everything that the cult basically stripped away from you. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the, there's another person. I haven't mentioned her yet, um, Ganya Lalich. And she has a book called Take Back Your Life, and it's all about that recovery process. And and she said on average it usually takes people about five years of, you know, full – and you're not going to be spending every single day of that five years immersed in, like, cult recovery stuff. I don't recommend that. It can be very exhausting to do. I go in and out of things all the time. But, but yeah, it does take time, and you can't put a deadline on it. It's so hard because no matter how much time you were in that cult, whether it was, you know, I was there a few months short of three years, but there were people in there for five, 10 plus, And yeah, like you're in there for decades. It's going to be a lot different than if you were in there for only, you know, three years or so. But it's still so hard because your whole life, your your work life and your personal life were so enmeshed. Like the company provided everything, the social life, activities, amenities, a paycheck, your sense of purpose, you know, on top of that, everything you knew before you abandoned because, you know, they were naysayers, they questioned it. So your friends and family, they might welcome you back with open arms. And I hope that's the case. But, you know, you just don't know who you are because everything you are in that moment is what you became for the cult. And I still have moments. I'm like, well, is this me? Like, is this actually me? Is this what I want? Is this how I, it's, it's so, I don't know. I've only been like immersed in this stuff for I think about three years. So I guess I got two more to go, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's you're constantly, constantly working at it. And, and just realizing, you know, why was I susceptible in the first place? And, you know, how do I not become susceptible again? You know, and I mean, life's a challenge. I think nobody's immune to just getting caught up in something because they were emotionally involved. What, whether it's a cult or a toxic workplace, a bad relationship, um, you know, we're humans. Give yourself the grace and allow yourself the process to get through something like that. I, you know, it's, it's heavy stuff for sure. And, and I think that whether listeners are in a cult, which, um, you know, hopefully if they're in a cult, they're getting out of a cult or in a toxic workplace and hearing elements of like of a cult that are part of their daily experience, that they can identify it and just, and and like you say, just quickly and quietly remove yourself. That That's really, you know, the, the best advice. And then once you're gone, fully removed, then you can really start to look into healing and processing. Yeah. I like, I wish that I, I talked to more people early on. It's interesting because I had heard the podcast that I mentioned and I was like, oh, wow, that sounds like the magazine crew. But that was in 2019. And I don't feel like I started thinking more about it until 2020 because my daughter was a few months old and I started reaching back out to people that I was on the crew with because I had stuffed this whole experience so far down that I couldn't I couldn't remember a lot. And so I had had conversations with about 10 people that I traveled with. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's insane how much stuff I forgot. So really lean on other people, especially, you know, if you do find people that were in that same company or in that same group or speaking out about their experience, like really lean on those people because the worst thing in healing is feeling isolated and alone and crazy. Like you're the only one. And even if it's not the same type of group, you know, I've surprisingly to my, like, I never thought I would have anything in common with people from religious cults, but no, it's, a lot of it is so similar. A lot of it's so, it's the same. It's the same. Yeah. Same manipulation, patterns of behavior, coercion, need of power, egotistical at the top. The other thing with, you know, leaning on others and sharing your experience with others, the whole healing process, the psychoeducation around like, yeah, learning why you were vulnerable to that group, what made you susceptible and all of that. And just creating a coherent narrative because I'm still working on it. Like telling my story on that last episode, I have to put things down in like very detailed notes because I'm still trying to figure out what the hell happened sometimes. And I understand it a lot more than I did like two or three years ago, but it's still like trying to piece everything together. So creating that coherent narrative, even putting together my thoughts for this episode, it's like, whoa, I've had new realizations. So like journaling about your experiences and your thoughts and feelings around things and yeah, sharing your story with others if you're ready. That's a great thing to like find your voice because outside of the magazine crew and 
like a lot of my life beyond that and before that, I didn't really have a voice. And so being able to, you know, speak on this and a couple other things that I've done or just even being able to tell none of my friends knew about this. And like, I still have a hard time some, you know, sometimes telling people about this because it's just so freaking weird, but being able to find people that listen to you and you, you were able to have that voice that you never really had before. It's just so healing. There's this organization out there that I volunteered with a little bit in April. We did a high control workplace um, educational focus. And the whole purpose of this organization, it's called igotout.org, is for cult survivors or survivors of high control groups to tell their story. And my friend Jarette, she hosts this class on her own, but also through I Got Out. It's free through I Got Out, but you can pay for more in-depth classes with her. But she is so great at guiding people through like writing prompts and just it's so healing just to be able to write your story out and then share it with other people who understand. And she's got a book out too that's new. It's like a it's a writing prompt journal for survivors of cultic abuse. So you don't have to do it in a class if you don't want to, but the whole the whole writing and just, you know, it's having having your voice heard in whatever mode works for you. It's just like, yeah, it's the best thing I've done since I learned about all this. Yeah, I'll put a link to igotout.org in the podcast notes because they do have all kinds of resources and stories. And I think that's where I found you. That's where I heard your story. They have a great mission and and what they're doing for people. And, you know, I think it's also about finding your confidence. And I think my listeners can relate to that, too, of like getting the confidence to know that you don't have to deal with a bad situation. Like you're worth more than that. You can accomplish more than that. And finding confidence is hard. It's definitely something that's, you know, it's challenging, especially if you're someone that is naturally a people pleaser or, you know, avoids conflict and you don't want to appear overly confident because you don't want to offend anybody. Just finding that confidence to be strong and who you are and your history and being able to let people hear your story or what happened to you and not worrying like what they're going to think or say because you're you're confident in who you are and that's not going to change any of that. So building confidence to me is like the critical aspect of kind of picking yourself up off the floor after a, a bad situation and moving forward. So I love that. That and like learning how, because a lot of the times the people pleasers and, you know, the ones who don't feel as confident, they don't know how to set boundaries and maintain them either. And I feel like that's that's something else you compare with gaining that confidence is being able to set your boundaries and then being able to maintain them as well and not not allowing people to step over them, because that's the biggest thing is you, you didn't you either didn't have the boundary or you tried to have it and that person just stepped right over it. And that was that there was nothing Nothing said, nothing done. And yeah, people learning how to set healthy boundaries is a big thing too. Yeah, that's a great point is like, okay, you can set the boundary, but then the work it takes to maintain a boundary is a whole different story. You know, you don't want to put up a boundary when you're a new employee. Well, yeah, especially when you're new. (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to ruffle feathers. Nobody wants to be earmarked as a a troublemaker, someone who's hard to work with. Yeah. So, but that's where these manipulative people or, or in this case, a cult sees an opportunity is somebody who doesn't want to upset somebody else by saying no and, and saying that they, that's not how they want to work. Yeah. That just made me think I was fairly new at this company that I worked with or worked at. And the boss guy said, hey, you guys, you guys mind if I head out early? And my coworker was like, you're going to leave me here with how busy we've been and she's new and doesn't know how to do half of this stuff? Like, no, it's not okay. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, how, how dare she? But now I'm thinking like, yes, you badass, good for you. And he ended up staying. But I was just thinking at the time, I was like, oh my God, what the hell just happened? How, like... How dare she? <laughs> but she had it right. Yeah. Or even just like your plate's full and your boss or who your colleague says, hey, can you do this? Just being able to say, no, I've got enough right now. That just was like foreign to me for so long. Like, nope, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And then I'm just spinning in my head going crazy. And 
it's a learning process. Right. Especially it's your boss walking out the door. I have this podcast. I still feel like if <laughs> if my boss was walking out the door and I'm swamped, I'd be like, okay, have a great night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See you later. Go have fun with the kids. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something I know I need to work on. There's so much information that you gave me before the show that you've talked about. Like I said, it'll be in the podcast notes. I'm going to put a link to your Instagram account. So, well, thanks for doing this. Thanks for doing a round two. Yeah, thanks for having me. Next time on Toxic Workplace. So she told me that I ask too many questions and that I have a problem with her authority and that that needs to be corrected. She would always say like, oh, I didn't ask for this leadership management position. God put me here. It was just so like fake humility. And then she told me that I was too direct. Yeah, I am very direct, but I'm very kind when I am direct. The way she made it sound was like if she would tell me to go do something, I would be like, well, why? Why are we doing that? I don't agree with that. (laughs) And like, that's not I would not do that at all. I was like very accommodating to anyone that asked me for help. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you have a story to share, please go to toxicworkplacepodcast.com, click on be a guest and fill out the submission form. Your story will be completely anonymous. All names are changed to protect the employer and the employee. And if you like this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.